0: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker your loft that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods ryan white is my live stream producer and uh, carlos kajina is my technical producer speaking of the live stream be sure to check out my youtube and rumble channels strange planet all right this hour Gregory L. Little stays with us, co-author along with Andrew Collins of Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. So uh, we were going to uh, lead off this hour and talk about uh, the great skeptic, Carl Sagan, Hi. and uh, his his belief about, uh, you know, the ancient alien uh, theory that uh, they uh, they had interacted with ancient civilizations, many, 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 many many millennia ago.
2: Yeah, a lot of people refuse to believe that Carl Sagan believed in ancient aliens. Carl Sagan is considered to be the greatest skeptic of all time, uh, respected by everyone, believers, non-believers, everybody like Carl Sagan. Uh, And in 1963, Carl Sagan published an article in the journal Space and Science Uh, and it is a peer-reviewed journal, and in that journal article, he calculated the odds of other civilizations existing in our galaxy, and there are lots of them, certainly. Uh, I noticed this week there was a guy that calculated that there were four malevolent civilizations in the galaxy that we really didn't want to interact with, Uh, but anyway, Uh, Carl Sagan said that there's definitely loads of them that are much older than us, much more advanced than us, and said it is just uh, obvious that they have to have observed Earth. And he, in his last bit of that article, he did a calculation. And in that calculation, he said that starting around two million years ago or so, starting around two million years ago, they would have begun visiting us. And up to the present day, they would have visited probably in the order of ten thousand times, ten thousand visits, starting two million years ago. And he said that two million years ago they wouldn't have been that interested. Humans had not developed very much. Uh, he didn't say that they would be that the same people were coming back and forth for two million years, but they were monitoring us definitely and watching what was happening on Earth. And if you divide 2 million by 10,000, you're looking at a visit every 200 years or so. That's basically the average. But he said that starting around at the end of the last ice age, 20,000 years ago or so, they would have started visiting a lot more often. And and in the article, at the end of the article, he said that he believed that archaeologists should begin looking in the area of ancient Sumeria, and look around Baalbek and those areas for evidence that ancient aliens had actually been here. And that is astonishing. I've had people say, no, it can't be. It can't be that Carl Sagan said that, but he did. Now what's paradoxical in this, and I'm the same way uh, as this, what's paradoxical is that Sagan was immediately asked so you believe modern ufos are these aliens and his answer is no he didn't believe any of its aliens <laughs> it sounds almost crazy but it's not uh what sagan said is that they're not coming here every day i mean how many ufo reports are made on the average of every day people are seeing dozens, un- in ex- dozens perhaps dozens. probably if you go worldwide it's more than dozens i mean there's there's seven and a half billion people on this earth. Uh, there are people in, the, on, in some areas that are outside at night quite a bit, and they don't have electric lights, that many lights, and they're seeing it all the time. Uh, but there are lots of them. Uh, there are millions of UFO reports made every year. We also know that 95, at least 95% of those are something that can be explained. They're either aircraft that are looked at strangely or weather phenomena Uh, could be uh, experimental craft or some sort of meteorological phenomena. Uh, So Sagan believed that. He thought that's what most of it was. As far as things like the contactees and the abductees, uh, he was a little more cautious with that. He knew something was going on with it, just like Carl Jung, the great psychologist Carl Jung did, that something really is going on here, but it is not what it appears to be. Whatever it is, it's very deceptive. It's not showing us what it really is. And that's the same thing that Sagan said. It. it was, I don't know if it was his last book. It was called Demon Haunted Universe. Uh, Sagan knew that there was something very strange going on. And he believed that the paranormal should be looked at. Of course, he thought that the paranormal, everything in it eventually could be explained by physics. That if physics went far enough, it was all eventually explain explainable and i do too i think it's all explainable so we have
1: th- three possibly separate things somehow connected possibly we've got we've got lights in the sky we've got ancient aliens and visitations and then we have these trans dimensionals that that uh, indigenous people have communicated with yeah
2: um, that's, that's very good you i've talked to a lot of people Uh, you're the only one that I've talked to yet that really picked up that we're, we're really trying to, it's like the puzzle. It's the jigsaw puzzle. You're looking at the different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that uh, I got to commend you on that. Go ahead. All right. So,
1: I mean, how, how are they connected or are we just not there yet?
2: Now? Well, we're not quite to the end of all this. Let me give you one more piece of the puzzle then one that just has got to sound like it's coming out of the blue. What, what's the Navy saying? What is the
1: Navy saying?
2: Yeah, what's the Navy seeing well, the, in all these videos with the tic tacs and with? Uh, I know that some of these are drones that they're looking at. That's pretty much been demonstrated. But some of this doesn't appear to be anything uh, that we have or anything that we know about. What are they saying?
1: Well, I just I'll refer back to the recent testimony uh, on May seventeenth with the uh, Deputy Director of the the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence, Scott Bray, I think his name yeah. is, and he kind of created five bins. Yeah, uh, you know there was uh, the the um, space clutter. I guess is one. He talked about meteorological effects. Uh, he talked about perhaps uh, technology belonging to our adversaries. That's three, four would be experimental craft of uh, you know made in the good old USA, uh, and then number five was this you know unknown um, phenomenon. Uh, phenomenon bin. Yeah. So pick your pick one of the five. I guess.
2: Well, back in 2006, when the uh, Ministry of Defense of the UK issued a paper called the Condign Report, spelled C-O-N-D-I-G-N, when they, when they issued the Condign Report, they said that all these inexplicable things were caused by plasmas, dusty plasmas and exotic plasmas. And the term exotic simply means that uh, it's something they don't understand. The idea of a dusty plasma is a different thing. So let me go ahead and define plasma, because I haven't even got to the tic tacs yet, uh, and all that. So the dusty plasma, what a plasma is, it's the fourth state of matter. We have solids, liquids, gases. The fourth state of matter is plasmas. Back in the 60s, plasmas were very poorly understood. All they knew is that it's superheated ball of gas. That's the that's what they call it, a superheated ball of gas, but it's far more than that. It is, a, it is a formation that is, in fact, superheated, absolutely. But when a plasma forms, it becomes electromagnetic. It has a north pole and a south pole. It usually spins. It sometimes flattens out. Uh, it creates a shell around it, literally a shell, almost like a cell wall is in a human cell in our body. It forms a, a wall on the exterior. A dusty plasma, because it's electromagnetic in nature, it begins to pull in dust, cosmic cosmic dust, physical dust that's in the atmosphere, it pulls in as much as it can, and it's already got air in there, so it is something that's physical it begins to rip all the electrons out of whatever the atoms are there. And the electrons start bouncing into each other, but they're encapsulated in this wall, in this electromagnetic wall. As long as the thing has energy coming to it, it can sustain itself. And some of them last quite a while. Sounds like Uh, a tornado. Almost. Yeah. So the Condine report, which was, which the Freedom of Information Act got it released in 2006 It says point blank that these are plasmas, that what is being seen are plasmas, that yes, they can be dangerous. Also, that people that get too close to these plasmas have neurological effects, lots of neurological effects. And up there in Canada at Laurentian University, there was a professor who I interacted with for many, many years. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. He actually got his degrees at the University of Tennessee. His name was Michael Persinger at Laurentian University, created the God Helmet. That's what he's best known for. Persinger did research starting in the 70s, the same time that I started doing research. We were both both basically the same age. Uh, In fact, he referenced some of my work. I referenced tons of his, and we interacted a few times because we had a very similar idea. Uh, Persinger believed that uh, UFOs were electromagnetic forms and that people were... Interacting with it neurologically, that when you get close to it, the electromagnetic field influences your brain chemistry, which the brain is—it's uh, biochemical, but it's a uh, electrochemical interactions going on, and magnetic fields do in fact influence it. So that was Persinger's idea. Persinger never thought that the plasma fields were alive, uh, that they had intelligence or anything like that. Uh, but, but Persinger viewing them.
1: That interaction, then, are we imbuing them with intelligence?
2: Well, that's an interesting idea. Uh, That is what uh, psychic projection might say that we're doing. Almost sounds like a poltergeist activity. We are interacting with them, and we are uh, determining the direction of the experience often, uh, but we aren't creating them per se. We're not doing that. Persinger was quite an interesting fellow. Um, Some of the research that he did has resulted in. I don't I can't. Well, they're weapons, weapons research. That's the best way to put it. Uh, For example, Persinger in his lab created a electromagnetic. Really, it's like a little tiny ball of energy that could literally put words in people's heads. You could beam words into someone's head. He would have undergraduate students sit in a laboratory, basically a Faraday cage where it's copper encased. uh, So there'd be no outside influence from the outside electromagnetic fields. And he could force people to make choices. He put them in an experimental test where they had to make a series of choices he could have them make the choice he wanted by simply beaming in very specific electromagnetic fields. He could have them hear words. Well, the military has created a device that can beam. It's over. It goes over a mile. You can't see it. Uh, it is a. It's, they use lasers. People always think of a laser having a visible light beam coming out. Well, it's only because they're using the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum with that particular laser. You can have lasers that have no visible light coming out at all, but they're using other frequencies in the electromagnetic field. So uh, they have this device that they can literally aim at somebody miles away and the person will hear words in their head speaking to them. Words speaking to them.
1: Voice the to same, skull technology, which is what? Voice to skull technology.
2: This is ah, uh, well, uh, yeah, you know, that's something schizophrenics uh, have been reporting for years that they hear voices in their head, or so-called targeted individuals are thinking exactly, right, exactly. So that, this and Persinger did, I think what he developed that in the 1980s. Persinger did a lot of these kinds of things. Well, Persinger also had people in this same Faraday cage that had UFO experiences. They're, just, they're sitting in a comfortable reclining chair. They have a UFO experience. This was even before the God Helmet that, that he developed. Uh, the God Helmet, he got much more specific. He could focus on really finite areas of the brain. Uh, to create different experiences. So we know there's an interaction going on here. So the military, and I tell in the book, I tell the story that I worked for the Office of Naval Research for two years on a grant. Uh, And the grant was I traveled around the country to Navy bases, and I did testing on U.S. Navy pilots, uh, on helicopter pilots, uh, jet pilots, uh, and prop plane pilots, all three uh did it for again two years it was i was young at the time i was 21 years old when i started it uh and i was just a research assistant didn't even know what we were doing to tell you the truth i'd go to these places we go in uh they would call in the pilots one after another we'd put them in the faraday cage we'd hook up devices to them do this testing the results went into a machine we carried the machine with us uh it was actually a cone that you held up to your head anyway um uh, in going to the Office of Naval Research's uh, primary research facility in Pensacola, Florida, I interacted with some of their young people like me. They had a lot of young people. I was in graduate school in psychology at the time uh, and they were in the Navy. And so we sat there while the big colonel who I was working for, uh, he was he was the head of Fort Knox's uh, research and uh, research facility. Uh, He went into the back to talk to the higher ups. I don't know. I don't know what anything went on there. So I stayed in the front, talked to all the young guys. And we started talking about the research that we were doing, which we call I wonder what if research. (laughs) And it is research that you do uh, because you've gotten something you want to study, maybe a drug. That's what I was doing at the time. I was studying drugs in psychopharmacology. And I would tell them, yeah, we got this drug called fencyclidine uh, in, and I didn't know what in the world. They, The DEA sent it to us, to our lab, and said, do some research on this. So I injected a rat with it, put the rat on my desk, and just went back to doing whatever I was doing and watched the rat fall over and run around the circle. That's true. That's a true story. And that's, I wonder what it, if research, the very first thing. I wonder what will happen if I inject this rat with a small dose of PCP. That's what it is, fencyclidine's PCP. So they started telling me about their I wonder what if research. And they do a lot of I wonder what if research. And then a few years later, it was more a few years. It was 1980, 89, I believe. Uh, my wife and I went to Pensacola, Florida to look at the Gulf Breeze UFO, the Gulf Breeze light, which we saw. It had appeared we saw it the 10th straight night. Everybody that was there, there were 108 people in the park that watched this thing that night. And they said the crowd's actually a little smaller tonight because it was in the middle of the week. Uh, There had been four or five hundred people there over the weekend, including film crews and so on. They knew what time the light was going to appear. It was like nine, ten. Exactly. They said it's going to occur any minute. They pointed it. They knew the spot. They said right there is where it's going to occur. So it popped on. What was it? It was a, it started out as a red light. It looked uh, about double the size that Venus would in the sky. And then close. I I took a picture of it, but I was looking around and it was astonishing watching this. And then they said, now watch, it's going to pop. What it then did was it expanded its size about 10 times. It went from this round red light that dot in the sky that, just a solid red dot about twice the size of venus to about the size of the moon and it was pure white pure white and they said now watch it it's going to flip off and it's going to get sparkles and then it's like somebody turned a light switch off all the interior white went out and all around the edges it had little tiny white sparkles right around the edges it lasted three or four seconds and then boom it was gone And I wrote this in a book that came out in 1990 uh, and repeated it in 94, said it in this new book. And I said that I was certain in looking around the office of Naval research is doing a study here, wondering what, how people are going to react to seeing this object in the sky. I believe it's a plasma object that they were creating. I believe it comes directly from Michael Persinger's research. I believe Persinger was funded probably by, Uh, contracts, not necessarily directly from the military, but by other military contractors, Uh, because he already had a lab set up. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, I did military contract work myself through the University of Memphis, uh, like I said, when I was a graduate student. Uh, But I think the military has done lots and lots of research on this. And I think that's what the Tic Tacs are. So we've gone finally to the another piece of the jigsaw puzzle, So if you go to the Internet and you look up Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, and look up Navy uh, decoy, Forbes Navy decoy patent, those words. What you will see is Forbes magazine about a year and a half ago found that the U.S. Navy patented something very, very interesting. And I know we'll get to that and people are going to love this.
1: I, I know my listeners will love it. I'm not sure about the people at Mufon. <laughs> Whether they
2: love this. Well, there's something real, too, going on here. It's not, the, True yeah, enough. It's not all. Yeah,
1: it's a jigsaw puzzle. True enough. Yeah. All right. Gregory Little stays with us, co author of Origins of the Gods. Back with more in a minute.
0: This is Richard Sarrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca.
1: A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors. Natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007, helping thousands of people. And it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea that's why i drink life change tea buy now and get one month of tea for free go to gettheteacom forward slash richard to order yours today use the code richard one zero to get an additional ten dollars off plus free shipping that's over fifty dollars in savings again that's gettheteacom forward slash richard and use the code richard and the number 10 richard one zero for ten dollars more plus free shipping don't miss out you can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet.
0: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. Self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: Wow, I am enjoying this conversation with uh, Gregory Little, Origins of the Gods, co-authored along with uh, Andrew Collins' Plasma. It seems to me that I've had many conversations with a crop circle filmmaker named Patty Greer, and she talks a lot about plasma and and the the research of Lefty Levengood, who talked about the role of plasma vortices in the formation of crop circles. Based on what you've told me, I mean, does that make sense that plasma vortices could be involved in crop circle formation.
2: Well, yes. The the early ones. Uh, there was a fella I wrote about uh, the in a, the 1990 book People of the Web. I had a chapter on crop circles since they started in the 80s, and I found out about them. Uh, I've been over there. Uh, Andrew Collins took me around to a lot of the places. Took me to the place where they have. There's a there's a there's canals in England, and there is a. Uh, Right in the middle of where all the crop circles take place, there is a canal and a pub there, a tavern, that has thousands of crop circle pictures. And we got to meet some of the alleged makers. When it very first started back in the 80s, I interacted with a fellow by the name of George Terrence Meaden, who was the editor of the Journal of Meteorology. Uh, Meaden had studied them. And the early crop circles and the ones that you don't hear about today are fairly simple. They're pretty much a perfect circle. Sometimes they have an outer band, but they're, they're fairly simple. Sometimes there's three or four of them. They're in patterns like that. And I concluded like Meaden did that, yes, those formations are probably made of plasma vortices or vortex of swirling energy. However, Uh, based on what I learned through Andrew and through other people, some of the more complex forms are not made by plasma vortex. Uh, If you want to believe that aliens made them, that's fine. I'm talking to the listeners. If people really want to believe that, that's fine. I don't, you know, people can believe whatever they want. I'm giving mine here, basically, uh, giving my beliefs. And I respect others too. Uh, But some, there are makers that have at least claimed to make them Uh, If you go to the right places in England at the right time, you can uh, see some of these people uh, at some of these uh, specialized pubs. You'll have to have people point you to the right ones uh, where they come in and and meet and so on and bring their photographs and and post them. Yeah, I think some of the formations of crop circles are made by plasma vortices. Absolutely. They do form naturally in nature. Uh, They form during earthquakes, uh, pretty much right when the earth takes place after an earthquake you don't see them for a while because all of the strain tectonic strain tectonic strain is when uh two big fractures are pushing together very hard just like i said earlier take two crystals and rub them together you're causing tectonic strain when you push two crystals together you're causing internal strain in it that causes the release of electricity and ions and energy uh so yeah Uh, But if you want to go back to the Tic Tacs and all that, so uh, that's where this is heading. So for the Tic Tac piece of it, again, if you Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you use, Google Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, which is the name of a magazine, uh, and patent in U.S. Navy and uh, decoy, you will see the Navy has patented a couple, just a year and a half ago, patented a laser-based plasma generator that creates plasma formations in the air that are picked up by radar that can be seen on infrared, that can move, you know, there's nobody in them, so it's kind of like pointing a flashlight around. If you look at the beam of a flashlight, you know, it looks like, oh, it's impossible angles. No, you're just moving around the light, uh, there's nobody in there, but if you think there's somebody in there, yeah, a human being couldn't 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 live with that. It would crush. Withstand you. those G's, right? Yeah, you can't withstand. But there are no G's. There's uh, that. There are no G's here. It's simply moving. Moving energy is what it is. So the Navy developed this thing, and what I really believe—this is my belief, and my belief only—is I believe that a lot of what has gone on here, it's not the Navy that is testing this out on themselves. The Navy has contractors and it's dark money, uh, black ops. And I believe that there is, uh, that they were testing and still are testing our radar systems to see how our new radar systems react to this, how our infrared and ultraviolet uh, gun sights interact with it and what they see and what the pilots see, what the pilots think about it, what the people in these ships think about it, how they interact with it. If they shot a missile at it, nobody's going to get hurt. They didn't have, you know, I don't think they were armed to begin with, uh, the Nimitz. I don't think the pilots were armed. No, they it's, it's been. a training exercise, I believe. Yeah, just no. a training exercise. I think they were simply trying to see how they reacted. I don't think anybody on the ship knew anything about it. I think it was done surreptitiously by uh, a contractor who was uh, under contract to do it and see how, see how they react. That's what I believe. So I think a lot of this stuff is our own technology that the military in general doesn't know about yet. And then that's a piece of the puzzle. It's one that's going to, you know, a lot of people will say that's absurd. It's not true. But just look up uh, Forbes magazine wrote an article about it. If you want to read about these, the other things I talked about, uh, about the la- there's a laser that they have that, again, you can't see the beam, but it causes an explosion on the skin from miles away. It's a weapon that is used from, and they, they can dial up the strength of it, either make it really powerful or less powerful. Right, Some of speculated the- Speculated that that was used in the Gulf War or in the desert storm
1: against the Iraqi uh, soldiers, I think.
2: I'm, I'm sure that it was. Uh, they also have some that will make you throw up physically. There is a frequency. Persinger did a lot. Of, there's a there's an electromagnetic frequency that causes an area uh, in the brainstem to react, and you physically throw up. You can't help it because it's it's affecting that one area of the brainstem in the brain where you have the gag reflex and you literally throw up and it was a battlefield weapon designed to throw out a huge beam of this because soldiers on the other side can't fight very well when they're throwing up. That's right. That's and it's incredible how many of these weapons the navy the navy and the army have these cool names like pickle. There's a pickle, there's a skype, there's a scupples, there's a skypel. I mean, all they—they're all acronyms for all these bizarre devices that they have. But they have loads of them now. There's a list of at least ten. If you want to read some really cool articles about them, right. Look, uh, look up. Uh, uh, it's mechan- It's the mechanics, uh, mechanics magazines. I've, I popular have. Um, That's popular. Yeah, mechanics. Popular Mechanics. You can read these in Popular Mechanics and also in Forbes magazine. Right. Put and up stuff.
1: on lethal weaponry.
2: Yes which can be also lethal. They can dial it to make it lethal if necessary. Absolutely. All right. So
1: um, we're covering a lot of ground here and it's all absolutely fascinating. Uh, Let's bring it back to the ancient astronaut theory. You say that that the modern ancient astronaut theory actually began in the 1700s.
2: Yes. Well, the first contactee, the first contactee, uh, and the first person that I know of, the first individual that I know of, who was told by the entities or the people from outer space that that talked to him for twenty eight years <laughs> the people that talked to him told him that we've been doing this for all time, that we've been coming here for all time and interacting with you people, and so that's the ancient astronaut theory. The ancient astronaut theory is that ancient astronauts came here and interacted with, so it it really Started in 1743, 1743, long time ago. And it was a very famous scientist. His name is Emanuel Swedenborg, Emanuel Swedenborg. There is a society, Swedenborgian society. Swedenborg's uh, burial crypt is in Uppsala, Sweden, uh, in this national cathedral. It's incredible. You can read a lot about Swedenborg there. Very. He was a scientist. He was a nobleman. Uh, he was a mathematician, one of the most famous people in the world at the time, uh, and he, I believe he was 56 years old when he started his interaction with him. And he was in England; he was in London uh, when Swedenborg traveled. He traveled alone; he didn't want people with him, and he traveled secretly. And at the time, he had just—he was an official with the Swedish government. But he went to England really to visit some friends. He enjoyed the company of ladies. That's one of the things that he did. And this is a lot of this information is in Swedenborg's own journal and in some of the books about him. But he went to England. He was eating in this tavern in a side room of a tavern. And they knew him. They kept him isolated from everybody else. So he was alone in this side room in a tavern. And then he started eating. And then a man materialized in the chair right across from him in a corner. He was in a corner table. He was at a a corner table and right in the corner chair, a man just physically materialized in front of him. And it frightened Swedenborg and he looked at the man and this is about as inauspicious as it gets. The man said, don't eat too much. That was
1: it. Is it corroborated by any other witnesses, or no
2: there no, it was written down in his journal. All this is in Swedenborg kept a meticulous journal his entire life, and people don't know that his history of his early life, Swedenborg saw lights and entities in his early life I mean he he was literally haunted by lights appearing in his room, and that 's why he went into science. Swedenborg was the most famous scientist in the world at the time I mean he was really I wanted to understand what was happening to him absolutely. So anyway, okay. Okay,
1: We'll we'll just hold on that side. Okay, yep. Gregory, will uh, take another time out and continue to talk about uh, the origins of the gods. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 for my good friends at c60evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider we've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto but did you know it's easy for you to do the same the copy my crypto membership site shows you the coins that the youtuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him you don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does let me tell you more about James he runs the crypto with James YouTube channel since March 2020 he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins had you put in a hundred dollars into each One, It would now be worth over $53,000. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but listeners get full access for just $1. You can't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. Don't take this offer lightly. He's the real deal. Go visit the site now.
0: This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca.
1: Gregory Little stays with us. Origins of the Gods, co-authored with Andrew Collins. Before we get forget, how do we get a
2: copy? Uh, well, it's available everywhere. Um, obviously, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any online seller has it. Uh, it's also an audio. If you're a truck driver, man, you've got 10 and a half hours of uh, listening there, but it's everywhere. Well, fantastic. And uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: we have a lot of truckers that listen to the show. We love yeah. the truckers. They love the show. And yes, they'll, the idea that they could uh, listen while they, uh, they're on the long haul. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fantastic. All right. So we were talking about this um, uh, Swedenborg, Swedenborg from the 1740s, one of the world's most prominent scientists at the time. And he had, uh, well, he saw entities. He saw lights in the sky.
2: Uh, that was a child. Yeah. Right. And then in England, he had this person appear to him, just a man. And that was the start of the story. That was the beginning of it. And that, that's not, you know, that's nothing incredible. But here's what happened. Uh, Swedenborg immediately dropped everything and ran back to his hotel room. There is, this part is true. There was a disturbance in his room that night. We know that. The police were called. Um, according to some of the books written about it, the man appeared to him that night. The Swedenborg's only own journal doesn't say that. Swedenborg's journal said that he had a bad night and that a doctor came and the police were there. Uh, and they it, the reason they came is, is that he was very famous and he was an official of the Swedish government. So the hotel called a doctor in who sedated him uh, because he was so upset. And then the police came and stayed at his door through the night. The weird stuff happened the next night. That's what's in Swedenborg's journal. So the next night he was in the he was in his hotel room and what is in his journal and in a book. uh, Well, he wrote several books about all this. uh, But what happened then is the room filled with light and there was like a big ball of light. The man was in the middle of it, and the, and the lights went out, and the man pulled the chair up and sat down. Swedenborg was in the bed, and Swedenborg said the man looked totally like every other man, except he had on these giant purple robes. He had a giant purple robe on.
1: Like a magistrate.
2: Yes, and he said the man told him that I am going to open your mind so for the next 28 years, think about that, 28 years, Swedenborg was inundated by visits from multiple beings who he said are physical that other people saw. I haven't read anything where somebody said, yeah, I met Swedenborg's beings. I never, never read that, but it's in his books. Uh, he said for 28 years, they came to him repeatedly. He said they were physically real. He touched them. They stayed with him for hours at a time, and they took him for rides in a craft to other planets. He saw that Mars and Venus and Saturn and the the moons of Saturn and Jupiter uh, and Uranus were all inhabited by people like us, and that there were cities on those planets like there were cities here. And he said that they were the angels of old. They told him that they were the angels that came, that all the old biblical reports of angels were them, that they did once live on earth, and now they live on these other planets. They died and I guess reincarnated on these other planets. So Swedenborg wrote bunch several books about this. One is called Earths in the Universe, because he said in that book, That the universe is just populated with planets like Earth, that they are all over the place, everywhere in the universe, and it's almost countless, and that they had been visiting the Earth for a long, long time, and that actually is probably the very first contactee. We're
1: almost out of time for this segment, but why wouldn't we just, couldn't we just dismiss Dr. Peter Swedenborg as an eccentric, to be polite, or just bonkers?
2: Well, nobody has actually dismissed him completely. What they've said is, even the Swedenborg Society has said, that. oh, it was a spiritual thing. Which Swedenborg himself at the end, when he published all this, he said, I think that it's probably spiritual. That's what he said at the very end. I had this, these spiritual encounters. Very, very few skeptics really want to accept Swedenborg because Swedenborg remains so famous and so important in literature. Uh, they don't want to accept the fact that he was a UFO contactee. That's what he was. But the entities lied to him. There are no, I'm sorry, there are no cities on the moon. There are no cities on Mars that we know of. The trickster. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a trickster. The trickster lied to him. Now, there were probably some things that they told Swedenborg that's true. There were a series of other things, books that were done that happened in this exact same way that Swedenborg was visited. Uh, and we know that people got accurate information. Uh, I've even taken people and compared that to people like Edgar Casey, the psychic in America, psych- America's most famous psychic. And Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc had the same kind of experience. Joan of Arc saw uh, light beings uh, and it led to the same place. Let's, we'll get to uh, that
1: shortly. Pick this up on the other side. One segment room remains with Gregory L. Little, Origins of the Gods. Stay with us.
0: The truth will set you free, free, free. free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. A few
1: minutes remain with Gregory L. Little, co-author along with Andrew Collins of Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. We are sort of madly off in, in all directions, but we're just we're we're looking at different pieces of this immense jigsaw puzzle. And uh, we've been talking about uh, plasma. We've been talking about how they relate, how that relates to lights in the sky. Uh, we've been talking about. The shamanic tradition of uh, communicating with transdimensional intelligences. We were just talking about uh, Dr. Peter Swedenberg, a famous scientist from the 17th century, who uh, may have been the first alien contactee, contactee yeah. or even alien abductee. And uh, you, you, you were saying that this uh, it, it sort of echoes what what happened to uh, Joan of Arc.
2: Exactly. As long as Joan did what they told him, told her to do, and it worked out exactly as they told her. But as soon as she went a little further, it all went to hell, so to speak. Uh, It it didn't go well. Uh, So as long as she did what they told her to do, same thing is true with Edgar Cayce. Edgar Cayce um, did a lot of psychic readings. Most people don't know that 70% of Casey's psychic readings were on health, and those have been studied by physicians. There are loads of journal articles and medical journals that have studied what Edgar Casey said. And his health readings are all very accurate. They're 80 some percent accurate. That's what all the studies say. And they're not saying though, that 20 percent or 15 percent that yeah, isn't is wrong. They just don't have enough information to figure out was he correct or not. So when he was talking about maybe, you know, uh,
1: uh, accessing the Akashic Record for this information, was he getting this information then supposedly from these uh, transdimensional intelligence?
2: I would say absolutely. And as long as he's the original, the original interaction he had with the entities, he had two interactions with what he called an angel, both of them in balls of light both of them, very famous. And in the first one, the angel uh, basically told him, you're going to be a healer. You're going to mainly heal children. And as long as he stuck with that, the information was pretty accurate. And I'm in the Casey organization. Uh, my wife was the uh, chairperson of the board of trustees of it for several years and, uh, and on the board for five or six years before that. Uh, so we're, we're very much into it. But the truth is, Edgar Casey was wrong about some things, not health stuff. As long as he stuck with what, the, with what the, the deal sort of he had with the angel, it worked out okay. But he's gone. He went into other areas. Some of it is obviously accurate, but some of it's not. That's where the trickster element comes in. There is an un- When you're interacting with this force, you have to always be careful that there is an element that will mislead you. And if your motives aren't clear, if your motives aren't good, you'll be misled. That is what Edgar Casey himself said when his readings were wrong. They would ask him in a reading, why didn't this pan out? And he'd say, Our motives are bad. And most of those were about when people were looking for money or gold or treasure. Uh those didn't work very well. So I call this stuff, I, I kind of summarize it all. Again, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. And there's all there's something in this jigsaw puzzle that's going to make everybody mad. (laughs) There's something in it that's going to make everybody go, oh yeah, I like that. So it's a big jigsaw puzzle of a lot of things going on. But I call this the the essential core of it, time, T-I-I-M-E, time being, same thing, and Andrew's N being, same thing. But time stands for transient intrusions of intelligent manifesting energy. Transient because... They never stay around. They never, Whatever these things are, they don't hang around. I mean, with the contactees, some of them have literally said, oh, a UFO landed. Well, did they run into the house and get on the phone and call their buddies and they all came over and they brought their cameras down and they banged on the side of it? No, it only hangs around for a brief time. It's very, very temporary, whatever these things are. They're temporary. It's an intrusion. It's something that does not seem to belong in our normal reality. It intrudes into reality very suddenly. So it's a transient intrusion of intelligent manifesting energy. And we say that's intelligent because I'll go to the most, most incredible articles from physicists ever. Now, Andrew goes back in time and talks about bomb and some others that said that plasmas appear to be intelligent But in 2007, a group of six physicists published an article in the Journal of New Physics, a peer-reviewed journal. And they said that plasmas have all the characteristics of a living entity, that they appear to be intelligent, they can interact with us, that they multiply, they form what looks like DNA in their internal structure. They have filmed this. You can actually probably find some of it online. The DNA, they they form a double helix on the inside. The double helix splits apart just like it does in human DNA and forms two plasmas or two cells in in human uh, physiology. Uh, The weak ones die off. A weak structure dies off, just like with the way evolution occurs with us. But they say they have intelligence. And they said if we could sustain the energy for all intents and purposes, they're alive just like us. Almost sounds like a hologram.
1: It almost sounds like a
2: hologram. It does sound like a hologram. But remember, a plasma is physical. And just like the air around us, there's something physical. The air, it's like we're in an ocean of air all the time. The air is physical. So when a plasma forms in air, it takes all the molecules that are in the air, all the oxygen, nitrogen, boron well whatever else is in the air you know most of it's oxygen and nitrogen but it takes those it begins to rip off all of the electrons from them and it pulls in anything else it can because it's electromagnetic and so it becomes a physical object and it's driven by energy we are physical objects driven by energy you remove our energy we die instantly we're gone right
1: that's There's what they call the spirit right that electrical energy so absolutely
2: so absolutely
1: so then it, uh, I just got a couple minutes here and I'll have to have you back on uh, because this is just amazing, but um, very quickly, if we could, (laughs) if it's possible. And that is, does, does what you've been talking about, plasma uh, vortices and and so forth, does that explain much of what we consider paranormal
2: events like
1: hauntings and so forth?
2: All of it. All of it. The weird stuff like that, plasma stuff. uh, Once you get away from hoaxes, you know, hoaxes are a piece of the puzzle, too, because we know they occur. So once you get away the hoaxes and if you're talking about something legitimate, yes, plasmas would. Now, the the question, Andrew, Andrew has a much better way of talking about this than I do. But Andrew says that to him, the real underlying question is uh, some people might think we're saying that the plasmas are the entity that it's the underlying intelligence and the, so it may be that the plasma is simply the medium for whatever the intelligence is to move into. You follow what I'm
1: saying there? Right. Like our human, like the, the human body, of, the essence of what we are is not our, our shell. Uh, right. So it's, it would
2: be the same. And yeah. We really don't know exactly. You know, we just know oh, we have energy and we call it spirit or spiritual, whatever a soul, we say all that. Uh, but we don't have any way to explain that in physics other than saying that we know that we, that we're energy beings. We know we have energy. So, and I don't know. I, I think that uh, this is all things are, all things are related again. All things are connected. Uh, the plasma is everywhere in the universe. The universe is mainly compi- comprised of plasma. It's what's between the sun and us. It's what's in outer space. It's everywhere. Most of the, most of the matter in the entire universe is plasma. That's what it is. So uh, it goes back to the Native American thing. I kind of think of it all like there is an underlying intelligence. Native Americans call it spirit, the great spirit, spiritual energy that has its own intentions and purpose and all. But I think that uh, all of the everything is imbued with the same thing that it all has a form of intelligence, even a rock. You know, some people say it's animism. It's not animism. I'm not saying a rock is alive, but I think that whatever is encapsulated in a rock is spiritual energy. It's spirit, just like the Native Americans said it was. Uh, and we can't, we don't interact with it much. We don't get much from it, but I think everything is is the same way. Uh, and I, I don't know that there is, something that each one of these entities, like the entities that saw Swedenborg, are they different from the entities that saw Edgar Casey, or the entities that interacted with um, Joan of Arc or the contactees, or is it all manifesting from the same basic source? I think it all manifests from the same source.
1: Wow. Well, that ladies and gentlemen is a brief introduction Of Origins of the Gods, Andrew Collins, Gregory L. Little. Gregory, what a pleasure. We'll have to do this again. Thank you so
2: much. I thank you. Uh, Good luck to you. And yeah, we'll do it again sometime.
1: All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with a brand new program. Hope it will be a long for the ride in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known which you hear in the dark speak in the light what i say in a whisper proclaim from the housetops move over aphrodite i'm coming home good night call it the miracle molecule carbon 60 or c60 for my good friends at c60 evo.com and i take a tablespoon every morning it delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin c c60 is a known antiviral antioxidant antibacterial anti-inflammatory it's a remedy that works c60 evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed this alone is worth the cost of the bottle I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your health care provider.